electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Because people make friends, I'm just trying to make you a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate. Hey, give you some context. Call me, 1-800-743-CBC. Tweet me, at Jim Kramer. Where, oh, where are the sellers? For years and years now, it felt like the stock market had changed. Anything positive was always met with a negative. Any bullish push by an analyst was quickly met by sellers who took advantage of the aggressive buyers to sell sell, 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 at a higher, better price. Not anymore, though. And you can see how it impacts the whole market. Dow advancing 171 points. S&P gaining 0.57%. And NASDAQ effortlessly rising... 7.5 7.5 just effortlessly. It may be a long time since I've seen something like this. How about 24 years? 24 years when I've seen a moment where analyst recommendations have such a giant impact on stock prices. The impact, though, is not necessarily because people are persuaded by whatever the analysts had to say. We're seeing gigantic moves, frankly, on rather pedestrian recommendations. And those are all about big institutions either holding back from selling stock or, get this, my new thesis, the sellers simply are not being aggressive in trying to get out because maybe they just sold almost everything and have gone into high-yielding cash. There's no more stock to go. I mentioned 24 years ago because you have to go back to before the dot-com bubble to see such a big move on an analyst upgrade and price target bump. Those jumps occurred because money managers were reluctant to sell then, too. They sensed that every time someone says something good and says something constructive, a stock would attract new buyers. Why be aggressive on the sell side? And that's what's happening now. And it's augmented by companies that have spent years buying back their own shares and shrinking the supply of their stock in the process. The lack of IPOs also means we aren't getting crushed with new supply. So here's what we'll do. Let me give you some examples of what's happening just in today's market. For instance, this morning, Mizuho published a piece on Meta Platforms. Yeah, it used to be Facebook. Quote, this is what it was called. Metrics deep dive suggests upside in fiscal year 24 with optionality and messaging. Yeah, man, what a barn burner. And at the end, let's talk about three positives. First, improved monetization in reels and Facebook shops, along with increased demand from Chinese advertisers. Second, Meta's spending might be slow. And third, WhatsApp might be worth a heck of a lot more than people think. On this push, on this push, just this, Meta stock jumped an incredible 13 points. Or 3.65%. Why is this so astounding? House of pleasure. Because almost no, none of this is new. Hey, excuse the hubris, but with the exception of the Chinese commerce advertisers, I've been recommending Meta based on these same things for ages. When you get one of these effervescent markets, so you find yourself in disbelief that a stock can go up so far on this rather modest push, especially because people know it already. But it's not because the buyers are more enthusiastic. It's because the sellers aren't popping up like they used to. They are done or have little stock left to sell. Then we got Morgan Stanley piece on cybersecurity. It was entitled 2024 Outlook 
rising demand to meet rising threats. Well, this one is just you know, God only knows, right? What's driving this? His, I'm going to quote this. A historically elevated threat environment, regulatory tailwinds like the recently enacted SEC requirements for disclosing hacks, early innings on Gen AI product cycle and easier growth comps. Again, this is not a new thesis. It's not like the Bitcoin thing. It just got approved by the SEC. But it's not like, wow, I got to own that. I can't believe it. And well, oh, get this. What are they What are they telling you to buy? Palo Alto Networks, CrowdStrike and Fortinet, which the analyst describes as the three horsemen. All right, look, just for, put this aside for a moment. There were actually four horsemen. Maybe they should have gone with three amigos. Instead, let's focus on the fact that hardly a day goes by without someone saying the exact same things about Palo Alto and CrowdStrike. Two big time Kramer phase, by the way. Not so much Fortinet, which I regard as more of a pony or maybe a broken down mare. Yet on this call, Palo Alto stock rallied more than 15 bucks or 5%. Hey, bring its market capitalization to a hair below 100 billion. How many times have I told you about these two, of these, these two horsemen and how they're doing? Now, if you belong to the investing club, you are probably sick of hearing me make the very same arguments that sent Palo Alto stock soaring today. And look, I'm not trying to toot my own horn. It's just that these calls are so obviously so uh, they're old hat. How about Wedbush's insightful upgrade of Home Depot? Their thesis, let's just say that what caused pain for Home Depot shareholders, the spike in interest rates and plummeting existing home sales, are now in the rearview mirror, and now rates have come down. And get this, the inflection is in sight. Inflection! Is there anything better than inflection? Maybe a pivot? Now, this nice recap of why Home Depot's worth owning caused its stock to leave more than 10 bucks or 3%. Now, you've heard about collateral damage, but how about collateral improvement? As the pin action sent Lowe's up 3 bucks. What's good for a Home Depot goose is, uh, I don't know, good for Lowe's gander. Oh, and I'd be remiss not to mention a second Oppenheimer push. This one for Salesforce.com, which they called a, quote, good EPS growth compounder. <laughs> really? And a reaccelerating top-line story. Wow. Now, this push was so powerful that when Fortune came out with a story midday about Salesforce pausing hiring, the stock took a hit for about a minute and then right back as if nothing happened. What do these four recommendations have in common? How about that there's nothing really market moving about any of them? Yet they somehow struck a chord and caused sellers to step aside while buyers slap things up. Now, I don't want to just focus on analysts. Amazon catapulted higher when we learned that the company's slashing Jobs in that Twitch unit and laying off lots of people at the prime video business. Not because it's doing poorly. The opposite. They figured out what's not working and what's working and they wanted to move on. Microsoft may be investing in some interesting technology that cuts reliance on lithium for electric vehicles. Yeah, yeah. Uh, something caught Elon Musk eye because he's railed he's against the ridiculously high price of lithium for ages. I thought maybe we had a twofer, but only Microsoft blasted off on this one, flying nearly seven bucks or a little less than 2%. Now, there was a time when a company could announce a $5 billion buyback with a 33% dividend boost and people would just yawn. This is not that time. So the stock of Lenar soars 3.5% because it's a home builder, and that's unusual, I guess. Not that unusual, really, because Toll Brothers did that last December. Oh, and let's not forget that NVIDIA... NVIDIA... Yeah, they did stock flew up 12 bucks or another 2% to another new high. Now, maybe the announcement that Walmart's using more generative AI or perhaps from the halo it got from being a star of both J.P. Morgan's healthcare conference and CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, there's a 2-4. Yes, I know, I'm being a little tad uh, 
cynical? How about that? But that's all the better. I need you to understand that these recommendations and little tidbits and asides suddenly have power in this market, because at the moment, there doesn't seem to be anything about what we would call resistance, meaning there's nothing stopping stocks from going higher, not for the not the bond market, not the Fed, not inflation and not earnings. Have you noticed that we don't really care about what Fed people say anymore? Interesting, isn't it? Of course, we don't know if it can last. Tomorrow, we get the consumer price index. That could be market moving. It better stay tame or we're in trouble. And Friday, we get earnings. Now, historically, earnings season has produced sellers. So we don't have long to find out if we are at the end of one of these halcyon periods or not. But the bottom line right now, it's safe to say you can move up pretty much every stock purely on positive mentions. It's a rare moment. Enjoy it while it lasts. John in New York. John. Yeah, Jim, thanks for taking my call. Of course. Uh, I'm calling tonight. Uh, I'm interested in, in the obesity market. Right. And I was calling about a company called Weight Watchers. Uh, they bought a company named Sequence, which is a telehealth platform. Right. And with Lily starting in the direct-to-consumer platform, how will this affect uh, not just uh, – Weight Watchers, but all of the companies looking to get into that market since it's such a huge well, opportunity. It won't matter that much, frankly. I think that that whole Lilly announcement was really about saying, please don't just use this for weight loss for vanity purposes. And WW has been hurt because you don't need WW if everybody were to take GOP dash ones. Robert, also in New York, Robert. Hey, Jimbo, I just want to say Happy New Year's to you. Same and I've got to say this, Jim, you have saved me money. At the end of the year, if you recall, you told us take some money off of certain stocks, a firm, Boeing. If everybody had listened to you, you saved me 25%, and I oh. had the best New Year's because of you. And this is very simple. If you listen to you, 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 you scare us with a steady hand. Okay, you really oh, do. Oh, man, thank you, buddy. But, I feel but, like but buying you a beer if I drank beer, you know? Well, I mean, you know, come on now, Jim. You, you're something else, but I got to tell you, you, you and, and the other thing is this. If the next administration should put you in the finance department or the treasury department, or you should be the head of the Federal Reserve. Uh, I, I like because, the money department. <laughs> well, I know you do, but you're really good at this. Anyway, okay, thank Jim, you. now that Pinterest has moved up and 28 analysts have a price target of around $39.72, you got profit margins going higher because it's spending less on the ads with that whole Amazon thing, you know, to get the ads to the customers. Right. Do you think it's time to lighten up? No, no. I think Pinterest has got new management. Pinterest understands how to monetize, and we need new names. We need more advertising names besides Amazon, Alphabet, okay? I mean, we've got those already. And, um, of course, Facebook. We want more names. We want more names. We really do. Let's go to Tosh in Pennsylvania. Tosh! Hey, hey, Jim. How are you? I'm doing good, Tosh. How about you? Are you a Steeler fan or an Eagle fan? Got to be one or the other. Go Birds. Maybe Stiegel. Go Birds. All right, there you go. I mean, we're uh, like J&J. We can't really figure out what's the matter right now, but we're good. What's happening? Um, my question is about in-phase energy. The stock was down, you know, more than yeah. 50% in 2023. Yeah. Down more or less than 10% for the year yeah. already. Do you think now is a good time to enter? Well, let's put it this way. Uh, you've managed to dodge a really, really big bullet because it went down because it turned out that it was more of a rate play. People have to borrow money in order to get it. But the economy is not strong enough for people to be able to do a lot of borrowing. So I'd say stay away from that one right now. All right, listen to me. It's been a long time since I've seen a moment like this, a moment where analyst recommendations have such a gigantic impact on stock prices. I say enjoy it while it lasts. Man Money tonight, Sankora, formerly known as Amerisource Bergen, might be one of the biggest healthcare stories that you've never heard of and with the stock now trading at all-time highs. Can you be a powerhouse in the industry? 
I'm sharing my exclusive with the CEO from the JP Morgan Healthcare Conference. The earnings season is upon us. And with the big bank slated to kick off the action, I'm giving you a preview of what you could expect from the reports. And Becton Dickinson seemingly reaches more patients than any med tech company in the world. So how is the company innovating to continue its mission of empowering doctors and nurses across the globe with its products? I'm sitting down with the company's top brands. So stay with Kramer. Miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on X. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Mentions. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Today, I want to talk to you about the biggest company you probably never heard of. It's called Sencora. That's because Sencora is the new name for the major drug distributor formerly known as Amerisource Bergen. While some view drug distributors as unnecessary middlemen, especially in election year, most pharma companies see them as critical partners, a healthcare provider who can expand the reach of their sales while solving critical supply chain issues. And like it or not, this one's been a fabulous long-term performer, including a 29% gain over the past year. Can it keep running? Yesterday, we checked in with Steve Collis. He's the chairman, president, and CEO of Sencora. Take a look. Some people feel you're the uh, head of the biggest company that no one knows. Maybe it's because of the name change. Tell me about why you did it. So, Sencora is a really uh, a terrific global brand. This is a generational trade, a ch- uh, change. We believe this name will be enduring. Uh, you know, we want to be at the center of healthcare. We're a purpose-driven company. So, nothing could evoke that more than a strong global brand which is, drives a business strategy of one Sencora, which is really our strong presences on both the distribution and manufacturer side and being in the center of pharmaceutical healthcare. Now, uh, the number, your revenues are incredible. You're a top 15 company in the world. So we had about $262 billion in revenues last year, about a billion dollars a working day, so it's pretty awesome. Uh, we made $3.3 billion in operating income. So I'm very proud of both those numbers independently. Taken together, it's very illustrative of how efficient we have to be, how we have to manage our working capital so well. And we do, I believe, a wonderful job with that. Okay. On behalf of our shareholders. I want you to tell people where Sancor is in the pharmaceutical value chain. So obviously we buy the product. We have warehouses throughout the world, several hundred of them actually. And we, we ship them to providers. 
So in the US, we have the most broad range of provider sets, including hospitals, pharmacies, uh, cancer centers, Walgreens, Walgreens sure, pharmacies, large and small, uh, mail order pharmacies, um, skilled nursing facilities. So anyone that uses a prescription. And then we do a whole lot of services for them. And then we think a lot about the upstream customer. So, you know, you had Vossan from the Vardis. Yeah. What can we do with them? How do we help them? What therapeutic areas? particularly if they're in the specialty or cell and gene or innovative therapies. How do we help them bring the, their products to market? How do we help them manage the product life cycle? How do they think about value-based care? So we believe we have a consultative expertise in that, and we tend to grow that. So well, reimbursement. That, that means that you have got to be involved uh, with the GLP-1s. We absolutely are. So um, it's a tremendous example of the innovation that our industry brings um, we're very interested to see how this all plays out. Right. Uh, of course, it's refrigerated product. Uh, there will possibly be different variations, but we think it's a good illustration of what pharmacists' role can be because there are a lot of um, diagnoses and you know, side effects that happen. So I think the pharmacist can play a role in the patient administration, and that's exactly what Sencora likes to try help with. At the same time, I, I'd be remiss to say, uh, I was telling, someone asked me, what does Marisource Bergen do now, now Sencora? I said, it, it, it is a stock that goes up. I, 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 and someone said, well, why? I said, because you have an 8 to 12% earnings per share commitment. No one has that over the long term. How are you so confident? Well, you know, we benefit from the innovation. Our industry, our industry does grow. We tend to um, also, you know, a lot of the work we do is before a lot of the rebates and complexity comes in with pharma pricing. But, uh, you know, at 1.3% operating income, you can see we provide a lot of value. Right. And that includes a lot of the higher margin businesses we're in. So I think the benefit to Amerisource Bergen Sincora as a, as a shareholding is that we have very strong free cash flow, about 3.1 billion last year, and we deploy that very, very thoughtfully. So last year we did about 2 billion in acquisitions, we did 1.2 billion in share repurchases, uh, 500 million in uh, capital investments, and those capital investments are highly scrutinized and really help the efficiency and the technology and the security and the compliance aspects of everything we do. At the same time, uh, you're, bio, you're the lead of biosimilars, which means you are trying to keep the cost down in the system. Absolutely. We think that biosimilars are an important innovation. So we're particularly strong on the physician-administered or Part B biosimilars. Those are a huge driver for our customers and for us. And we believe for the whole enterprise because it creates headrooms for the new innovative therapies which will be guided by precision medicine, cell and gene therapy. That will allow room for those products to be introduced. Now, for uh, your neighborhood pharmacy to get these, uh, and there are 4,000 of yep. them, and a lot, I like mine, it's almost impossible. With Yes, without you, I don't think mine could get the drugs. I think, I think that our industry really provides valuable services to the pharmacies, including, you know, helping them with marketing, helping them with third-party reimbursement, which is so complex. So we give them some of the attributes and characteristics of a larger chain, uh, while still retaining what, what their customers, well, their patients value. The financing aspect, I believe we play a very critical role for independent pharmacies, and you know, it stays at around 20, 21% market share. It's quite remarkable when you consider the competitive environment they have. Oh, yeah, and, and go through COVID. I mean, it's hard for them to maintain their, uh, their staff. It's very difficult. You are their best ally. 
I believe we are, and I believe we have been for a long time, mm -hmm. and we'll continue to do that in the future. And we want to do similar service, community veterinarians, community oncologists, uh, physicians that administer specialty medications. These are core practices for us, and ones where we believe we can play a helpful and innovative role. Now, you do have the best, I think, robust data set. Now, when you hear that, we should be thinking AI. Yeah. Well, it's, it's definitely something that we, we are, it's incumbent on us to use any sort of technology or productivity tool. And this is, at the end of the day, all of those to do, give a better service. So I talked a little bit to you about our World Courier business. They're tracking shipments real time using AI, machine learning. It, it's incredible. So we can give the manufacturers like up-to-date reports on where their products are around the world and also what the temperatures are. So those are the sort of things. But the data set we have is robust really, really worthwhile. And we want to keep on seeing how can we improve the services that we give to the providers and the manufacturers. I think the data and insights are an incredible opportunity for us going forward. Oh, last question. How can a company have 20 billion in inventory at any one time and not, and not screw it up? And that's another opportunity for AR. So we do a good job. I think we can do an even better job. Some of our customers get several deliveries a day, and we want to keep on making sure that all those productivity tools are used to improve the efficiency we provide. All right. And also, because I'm a Philadelphian, thank you for being one of the big companies in our town. We need more. We're going to do our share. Okay, you sure do. Steve Collis is the chairman, president, and CEO of Sencora. Okay, it's the old Amerisource Bergen. I like the new name because it is a healthcare company. It spans the world. Thank you, Steve. Hey, bye, great, Steve. Bye, great to meet you. I didn't know Very you before this. Coming up, an earnings parade is marching down the block. Be ready for Friday when the big banks report and stick with Kramer. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. Earnings season unofficially kicks off on Friday morning, this time with all four of the big money center banks, Citigroup, Bank of America, J.P. Morgan Chase, and Wells Fargo. Today, I want to get you ready for this initial earnings blitz because the banks can set the tone for the entire earnings season itself because they touch on so many parts of the economy. Last year, most of the big money centers came out of the regional banking crisis smelling like roses. These were the safest places to deposit your money in a world where we are getting actual bank runs. J.P. Morgan finished the year up 27%. Wells Fargo rallied 19%. Citigroup jumped 14%. It was only Bank of America that did poorly, up just 1.7%, because it had a large balance of unrealized losses from its bond investments, which is one of the things that brought down Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic. But that happened because the Fed tightened aggressively. There were absolutely no solvency issues at Bank of America. And now, well, that long rates have been coming down for months. It's no longer a problem, maybe an opportunity. 
After last year's moves, though, their valuations are all over the place. I like to look at the price of tangible book value for banks, meaning what the institution would be worth if you liquidated the whole thing overnight, which I know is not going to happen, but it's a good apples to apples way to look. J.P. Morgan trades at more than two times book value, which is pretty expensive. They deserve a premium, but that's getting up there. Bank of America and Wells Fargo trade at 1.4, 1.3 times book value, respectively. City trades at just 0.6 times book value, making it the cheapest by a wide margin, although one could argue that there's something very wrong about anything that cheap. Raise his eyebrows. From a different perspective, they all sell for 9 to 11 times this year's earnings estimates. By the way, that is historically low. What about the narrative? J.P. Morgan remains very well liked, but not quite beloved. Deutsche Bank just upgraded the stock from hold to buy yesterday. However, I don't see many analysts scrambling the name of a top pick for 2024 or anything. I think J.P. Morgan's a real good stock that can grind higher, uh, you'd say, over time. Kind of, it's kind of like the Cleveland, Cleveland Browns, you know? Just, but maybe not one that can scream higher at any given point in time. How about Bank of America? Now, for a while, this was widely considered the second-best money center. But last year, those concerns about the bond portfolio hijacked the entire narrative. At this point, Bank of America has become somewhat of what we call a show-me story. They need to put up a few solid quarters in a row so that Wall Street can get excited about the story again. I think there's just a lot to like here. Excellent digital banking platform, attractive dividend, underappreciated investment banking franchise, very good management. But it remains unloved for the moment. For me, the most surprising thing is all the love we're seeing for Citigroup which has rallied roughly 39% from its multi-year lows in October. doesn't hurt that the company announced a major restructuring effort in September. City had already started abandoning many of their far-flung international businesses, but in September they said they'd eliminate certain management layers and generally cut a number of jobs. By now they've enacted multiple rounds of layoffs, so Wall Street's excited that the cost cuts will finally let City deliver some real earnings. I don't know. Will there be growth from that? Questionable. According to the analysts, this is the only major bank that's expected to grow earnings in 2024, though, and that's up 5.2%. The street figures everybody else will experience low to mid-single-digit declines. Wow. I hope City can make a comeback, but let's just say I'll believe it when I see it. I'm much more excited about the very real turn at Wells Fargo, which we own for the Travel Trust. Just this week, the stock caught not one but two separate downgrades. Ugh. From buy to hold. You know what? I couldn't disagree with them more. The new management team at Wells remains maniacally focused on cutting costs and improving their technology. The dividend buyback also get better as we get further away from the company's problematic past, and the regulators give them more leeway. Frankly, I like that Wells Fargo is somewhat out of favor here. That's what gives you an opportunity. Charlie Sheriff, CEO, is on a mission to cut costs and boost revenue. He will succeed. So with that in mind, what will we be watching for when they report on Friday? With the banks, the headline sales and earnings numbers only matter so much. The true key metrics here are net interest income, NII, and net interest margin, NIM, both of which show you how their core banking business is doing, what they make from borrowing your deposits and then lending that money at a higher rate. Long rates have come down dramatically, and I want to know what management thinks about high-changing uh, interest rates and how they will impact their uh, bottom line, we got to know who does best in a lowering rate environment. Okay. Second, we need some color on the state of both consumers and corporate credit. That's whether there's deadbeats or whether people are doing okay. Many banks took large positions for credit losses during the pandemic. Then in 2022, when the Fed started tightening, they did it again. But the actual losses didn't happen. So last year, the banks reversed those credit charges, giving them a very nice earnings boost. If credit quality remains robust, we could see more charge reversals, meaning the earnings estimates for 2024 might actually be too low. If they make more negative comments about credit quality, though, the stocks are going to get hurt. They may take the whole market down with them. Third, I'll be listening for any other commentary about the financial health of the consumer. 
The incredibly resilient levels of consumer spending, thanks to the incredibly resilient labor market, has allowed the economy to stay much stronger than expected, even as the Fed's ruthlessly raised interest rates for the past couple of years. Most of these big banks are large credit card issuers, so they have great color in consumer spending habits. They can also tell us about deposit balances, loan demand, both important metrics, of course, spending. I'll be watching this stuff closely because it's a great way to take the pulse of the consumer. Finally, although it's a bigger deal for outfits like Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley, both of which report early next Tuesday. I'll be listening for commentary on the money center investment banking operations. There's a lot of optimism about a continued recovery for the capital markets business this year, both thanks to a resurgent IPO market and also, geez, just billions of dollars in bond issuance, something that's almost a given with interest rates coming down. We've also seen a pickup in M&A, which is great for investment bankers. The advisory fees they get on these deals are phenomenal. An investment banking comeback could allow the financials to give us some excellent performance this year. So let me give you the bottom line about the banks. If you believe, as I do, that interest rates have peaked and that our economy is almost certainly in for a soft landing, thank you, Jay Powell, then the banks should be worth owning right now. But let's see what happens when the four big money centers report on Friday. Why don't we take some calls? Why don't we start with Tim in Georgia? Tim. Hey, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. Oh, my pleasure, Tim. What's going on? Great. So uh, I've been invested in SoFi for a couple uh, years now, and I have a 650 share average. Uh, my overall invest, my investment strategy is pretty simple. Just look for good companies with significant growth potential, excellent CEOs, and stay long. So my question with SoFi is relating to valuation. With gap, prof- with gap profitability and earnings right around the corner, how do you think the market will valuate SoFi as a well, bank or well, fintech, and what would your strategy be in 2024? Excellent concerns, and congratulations on having such a good basis on SoFi. I think that we're going to stop thinking of this. This will be the year where we stop thinking about just on how many people they sign up and start thinking about how much money they're making. And you're absolutely right. Anthony Noto was a fantastic CEO. I think at $8, this is one of the cheapest banking stocks, not fintech. Those days are behind it. How about Charlie in Pennsylvania? Charlie. Jim, it's an honor to be on your show. You know, uh, it seems like there's ubiquitous sentiment out there right now uh, for the market to broaden out. And, Think about adding to a position I've had for years. Uh, it seems to be fitting niches that are quite popular right now, small company financial, and it's a dividend aristocrat. I'm thinking about a little regional bank here, community bank systems. Oh, man, that is real. It's like Jamon Canal. Holy cow. I like your cho- choice. It's going to do very well in a lowering uh, rate environment, and it's very inexpensive. Good call. Good call, my friend. Now, if you believe, as I do, that interest rates have peaked, then the bank should be worth owning right now. But let's see what happens when the big four money centers report this Friday. Much more mid money ahead, including my JP Morgan Healthcare Conference exclusive with Beckton Dickinson. How is the med tech company using AI to streamline its business? I'm getting the latest from the CEO. Then I have one key takeaway from being out in San Francisco with some of the world's largest healthcare CEOs. I'll reveal what I learned and how it could impact your investing thesis in the space. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. While we're at the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference, we checked in with Becton Dickinson, the medical device company best known for its surgical products, diagnostic equipment, and medication delivery systems, including the pre-filled syringes that are used to deliver those GLP-1 weight loss drugs that we hear about constantly. Becton Dickinson has an incredibly wide reach with some 90% of hospital patients touched 
by one of their products. Yesterday, we spoke with Tom Poland. He's the chairman, president, and CEO of Beckton Dickinson to get a better sense of how his company's doing and where it's headed. Take a look. Tom, people know your company's name, but they may not know 43,000 products in 190 countries, 38 billion medical devices last year? Yes. How's that possible? I mean, that's just, you are, the healthcare system would stop with, without Beckton Dickinson. Yeah, I often say, you know, we're a company that pretty much everyone has experienced our products, but not many people know our name. To your point, 90% of anyone who goes into a hospital is going to be touched by a BD product, whether or not it's you've had your blood drawn, you've had a catheter put in, you've been connected to an IV pump, you've had hernia surgery, you've had to go undergo chemotherapy, you very, very likely have been touched by a BD product, something we're very proud of. So I get blood drawn from a syringe. That's probably yours, too. Highly likely. We invented the vacutainer and collecting blood in the way that's made. Now, but you have also uh, made your company, I think, uh, production manufacturing uh, best in class. But you also have to worry about security in the supply chain because you were integral to the COVID fight. We were. We're really proud. We were one of the first two companies in the world to develop a rapid COVID uh, vaccine. And we normally make a little over 10 billion syringes a year to deliver vaccines and, and other types of drugs. We made an extra 2 billion syringes the year that the COVID vaccine was created so that we could help vaccinate the world. But, and you make those largely in the United States? Correct, in Connecticut and in Nebraska. So you're a huge employer in our country. Very But large. you also have a gigantic business in China, which I know right. last quarter seemed problematic. People didn't understand it. But it's still going very strong. China's a great business for us. We do mostly manufacturing in China for China. That's always been our strategy and focusing on helping to educate Chinese healthcare system to strengthen it has been our strategy, and we continue to do that. Oh, then there's no doubt. I mean, that's why. I mean, with the companies that are favored by the Chinese government are doing what you're doing. There's two classes of company. There's the companies that, that export from China, and then there's companies that help Chinese. And that's what we've been doing: is improving healthcare for patients around the world. That's our focus: advancing healthcare. Okay, we've been speaking speaking a lot about artificial intelligence. I've noticed when you're doing things, you're doing AI to identify bacteria, but AI. For narcotics abuse? How does that work? Yeah, so, you know, hospitals have quite a bit of narcotics, and unfortunately, um, healthcare workers can have a higher narcotic abuse rate than the general population because of its widely available. And so because we have software that's in the pharmacy, that's up on the nursing floor, and in patients' rooms, we can identify when someone could be diverting narcotics and abusing them. So we can get those healthcare clinicians help, and then we can help make sure that, you know, you don't have someone who's under... uh, administering uh, care to patients. Okay, well, I mean, how does, is someone involved in diagnosing infectious diseases, working about narcotics abuse, identifying bacteria? How do you pick what you're going to be focused on? Yeah, we're focused in a few very specific areas. One is diagnosing disease, helping to administer medications, and delivering care for chronic disease and improving outcomes. And so we've got the most exciting innovation in the company's history focused on doing those things. And you've done some por- portfolio changes, too, uh, make it so that... Uh, you have some goals for 2025, uh, which enabled you, you had to have systematically changed your portfolio to get to these goals. Correct. We've been systematically moving BD into higher growth spaces. Right. And so over the last couple of years, um, we've done, we've spun out and created the largest, one of the largest pure play diabetes businesses in the world. We spun out our diabetes business. We've recently sold off our surgery uh, products business. And so what we're focused, what we've been focused on is moving into high growth spaces and really three spaces that we're focused on. One is utilizing robotics and AI to transform the future of healthcare. Right. We're doing that in pharmacy automation. We're doing it in laboratory 
laboratory automation. So that's doing things that would be normally humdrum that uh, are not mean on necessarily, but like that's the stuff that we want AI to do. So it frees right. your people up to do higher. Uh, Think about pharmacists. Okay. Heavy education to become a pharmacist. Right. Extremely educated folks. They don't go to school to count pills into but that's an amber vial. I see them do that all the they time. They do it all the time. It should never happen. We have robotics. We have a $700 million pharmacy robotics business that does that, does it at a lower error rate, helps free up pharmacists to do things like deliver vaccines, do wellness checks, help take care of patients, which they have the full ability to do. Uh, we do the same thing in the laboratory. We do the same thing for nursing efficiency. So we're really excited about where that's heading. The second major area we're focused on is technologies that move care to new settings, right? Care is moving into the home. And so as you think about things like the new weight loss drugs, people are going to be injecting medications at home. There's new Alzheimer's drugs, new oncology drugs that are in the pipeline that are going to be, some of them require infusion today. We see those moving to wearable infusers that people will be able to do that in the comfort of their home by themselves. Those are the types of technologies that we've brought to market and will continue to bring to market. So can you make uh, pre-filled syringes? So we are the world leader in pre-filled syringes by a, quite a large margin. We invented the whole concept. And, uh, for example, as we think about GLP-1s today, they're in our pre-filled syringes. They are. Okay, they are. because I think that a lot of people are scared. And yeah. yet I think that you make them. Like I use, I, I'm very public about Amovig, okay? And uh, I was very scared, all right? It's a pre-filled syringe, and it's just, and so that's yours. It doesn't bleed. Nothing happens. No. You don't even know you took it. Well, we're happy to hear that you don't know you took it. And, and inside every one of those auto-injectors is a pre-filled syringe. That Many of those are ours. Yeah. Well, I, I've got to tell you, I, I think that what you guys are working on, if I didn't talk about this Alaris infusion system, this is w- one of the revolutionary things and w- what you're doing for Beck and D. This is a new kind of uh, new leg for you. Yes. So Alaris is our infusion pump platform. The majority of infusions in America are done using this pump. It's, we recently got a new FDA clearance for that, which is the latest cybersecurity, um, the latest interoperability with electronic medical records, and we're really excited about it. So, I mean, okay, that. so cybersecurity, I, I remember watching at 24 where they figured out uh, how to crack it and make it so that someone was in the fusion pump sure. or someone was in a pacemaker. You sure. make it so that can't happen. Well, we spend a lot of time working to make sure that doesn't happen, and we spend a lot of time. We hire red hackers to try to hack in to our products identify where there could be risk, and then we close that out, address it, update software, et cetera. We're constantly working on things. All right. I'm glad somebody is. I thought it just seemed like that. We have whole teams that do that every day. Well, you're doing the right thing. That's Tom Paul. He's the chairman and president CEO of Becton Dickinson. Yes, a New Jersey company. We'll be right back. Coming up, pop open those umbrellas and tee up your toughest questions. Kramer takes on all comers in the lightning round. Next. It is time. Start for the way around, Chris. Remember, that's where I take your calls. Right before you say, man, I'm stuck. I tell you what about myself. I'm just going to the South Park. My step is going to you. Play this out. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski daddy. Time for the lightning round, Chris. Remember, start with Frank in New Jersey. Frank. Yes, sir. Frank Morris, Jersey City, via Brooklyn. Love the show. I'm a new club member, and I got a question for you about lithium stocks. I'm looking at L-A-A-C. I I, got to tell you, Frank, let's take a pass on that one because we know that the greatest inventor of our time, Elon Musk, does not like the lithium companies trying to figure out a way to be less dependent on them. I don't want to go against Musk. I've learned that much in my life. Rebecca in New York. Rebecca. 
Hi, it's a pleasure talking to you, Mr. Kramer. Oh, and you. thank you. Uh, thank you to your very, very wonderful staff. They're very oh, courteous. Absolutely. People. Thank you. I wanted to know about Devon Energy. I, I did well for a while, then it went down south. Should I sell? No, look, I'll tell you, here's the problem with Devon. It is an oil company, and right now oil is just in, it's in glut. We can't own a commodity stock where the commodity is in glut. Let's go to Tim in Florida. Tim. Jim, thanks for taking my call. A big booyah to you from Lake Mary, Florida. Absolutely. Absolutely. What's up? September of last year, you recommended a, a buy, a strong buy on Symbotica, symbol SYM. And a couple of weeks ago, I pulled the trigger and, and bought a, a position on the stock. And uh, because of the volatility of the NASDAQ in the last few weeks, I was wondering what your outlook was for Symbotica for Look, 2025. Uh, uh, I like real AI. I like AI that can make a company money, not AI that's a press release, and they use it for supply chain. I really like that. Let's go to Rick in Mississippi. Rick! Jim Booyah, how are you? I'm doing well. How about you, Rick? Doing well, man. Hey, Jim, I'm thinking that my stock just might end up being my favorite mid-cap of 2024. What do you think of Pure Storage? Pure Storage is really an up or down company. They either blow the numbers away or they don't do the numbers. That's too hard for me, sir. You can buy it, but that's just too difficult a situation for me to navigate. Let's go to Nick in California. Nick. Professor Kramer, a giant local booyah from San Francisco, California. Long time first there time. yesterday. Should have dropped by. Should have dropped by. thank you is in order for you and your incredible team. Thanks for guiding us to energetic and eager young oh, investors. It doesn't go unnoticed. Thank you. Uh, Jim, you mentioned last. Uh, you mentioned my stock last Thursday on Squawk on the Street in the morning, and it couldn't be more appreciative. Sure, it's not stealing the spotlight like its bigger exploration and production peers. Both oil dancing around the $70 mark and a recent all-stop acquisition of Kellen Petroleum. I'm on the edge of my seat. What's your recommendation on an outlook on APA? Thanks, Jim. What was that one? Inteva? Oh, uh, uh, oh uh, 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 Apache. Okay, here's the problem with Apache. Um, to, uh, they once let us down with a story that was oil, dumping natural gas, and no one has ever forgiven them again. And I got to tell you, I'm not recommending any oil stock right now, except for Kotara, which is more natural gas than oil. You know, we're not done. Let's go to Mauricio in Maryland. Mauricio. Hi, Jim. I've been watching your show since 2006. Thank you for all. Holy cow. All right. First time caller, by the way. Oh, excellent. Thank you. Jim, this is another talk about healthcare. I have a talk from a really well-established Spanish company specializing in making medicine with human plasma. But yesterday, Cotan Series Research reported the company manipulated is dead and Ibadapi used to lower its leverage. Okay. After okay. that, the stock plunged more than 30%. Okay. And today, again, about 6%. Should I believe the report in sale or it's time to buy more? The company is crippled. No, way too controversial for me. I mean, I'm talking about what I describe as a battleground between longs and shorts. Those are too hard. And that. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by Charles Schwab. (laughs) 
I guess every pharma company needs a weight loss and diabetes drug. I mean, that was one of my major takeaways from the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference. Everybody who makes drugs is anxious to tell you about early and late stage pipeline candidates. They're designed to reduce weight or they got something to control diabetes or maybe prevent it entirely. But sometimes you have to keep it simple, stupid. I didn't get to talk about Novo Nordisk, which is the leader in the GLP-1 category. However, I did spend some time with David Ricks, the CEO of Eli Lilly, which comes in a close second. There's a reason why Lilly's market capitalization is so much bigger than all the other drug companies, nearly $600 billion. Nobody else in America comes close to them in the category. Lilly got set bound for weight loss, and they've got Monjaro for diabetes, but most important, they have scale. They're putting up two giant plants here and another one in Europe to produce the drugs. Most people don't understand that these pharmaceutical plants are incredibly complex, like building semiconductor fabs. They cost a fortune, and they have to be perfect. No mistakes. Just constructing them correctly is a huge task and a major gating factor. So even if a company like Roche pays $2.7 billion to buy Carmot Therapeutics for the potential of a solid injectable and an oral GLP-1 drug, even if Angelina has something similar or something that requires fewer injections, even if Regeneron has something that can alleviate the loss of muscle from these drugs, I think Lilly remains the way to go. Believe me, they're working on every permutation. Having the factories is what matters. Of course, I believe these drugs will be so big that even the ancillary situations will work. People feared what the GLP-1s would do to the current standard of care for diabetes, which in part is a non-invasive insulin monitor like the Libre product from Abbott Labs. Wrong call. Turns out it's more complimentary. People use the device with the GLP-1s. Just as important, GLP-1 users have trouble maintaining their muscle mass. So Abbott's Ensure, which has a ton of protein, may be the way to go. Older people who take these drugs could get too frail to stay on them without some supplements. But there are other gating factors, too. The GLP-1s are expensive. There's a law in the books that says Medicare can't pay for weight loss drugs. The insurance companies need to sort out pricing. Medicaid could pay, but the decision is made on a state-by-state basis. Employers may or may not choose to try to cover them, and I doubt they'll be willing to pay up until we get more solid proof that GLP-1s also reduce heart disease prevent fatalities in a major way. I'm pretty confident we'll ultimately get that proof, but we sure don't have it yet. I know after COVID, it seems odd that we hold back on paying for them, given how many people died from the comorbidities like obesity and diabetes, but the system will demand concrete studies and the drug companies just don't have them right now. Oh, and right now, if drug companies don't lower the costs, They'll crush the whole healthcare system if there's mass adoption the government pays. Plus, we don't know how many people will stay on them, given how self-injection is disliked in this country. There's also a food and alcohol ennui, watch this, associated with the GOP-1s. When you take them, it takes away your craving for what a lot of people think is the fun stuff of life. Uh, snacks, uh, drinks, a uh, great steak. Nothing tastes really good ever again. And I mean ever again, because you put the weight right back on the moment you stop taking them. Now, over the summer, we did see a big downturn in the packaged food stocks because of worries that the widespread GOP-1 adoption would crush the entire industry. The brilliant Michael Semblis at J.P. Morgan had some amazing musings in this unparalleled aisle on the market newsletter that just came out, which touches on all the big themes for the year. He talks about what people are buying less of, meat snacks, snack seeds, and nuts, popcorn. Crackers and chips. Now, I don't want to say avoid a Mondelez or a Conagra or a Kellanova or a PepsiCo. Uh, all too gratuitous, but it's certainly something worth watching. When it comes to GOP-1 drugs, it's all early. It's all convoluted. And if you want to play them, stick to the extremely obvious Eli Lilly. Do not overthink this. They are the winner and the champion. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. 
All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash disclaimer. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.